Hello SFIA audio listeners, in this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, we'll take a look at what sorts of alien behemoths might be possible under known science. To hear it and every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur and use my code IsaacArthur. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. We often say that technology offers humanity a bright new future, but not everyone sees it that way. So today we are back to the Rogue Civilization series to look at techno-primitivism, both the general concept and how it might evolve into societies on other worlds. This is a pretty common trope in science fiction, cultures losing their technology or intentionally limiting it, and we'll see today that it's one that might turn out to be fairly common too. Probably the most common fictional way of losing technologies unintentionally is after some sort of cataclysm, but we covered that topic in the Cyclic Apocalypses episode, so it won't be our main focus today. Rather we'll focus more on examples like Frank Herbert's classic Dune series, where the loss was intentional, as well as on some real world examples and motivations for it. Dune illustrates one of the most common reasons in science fiction for abandoning a technology, concerns about artificial intelligence. There we have the Butlerian Jihad, which has some rather contradictory portrayals from the original series and the expanded universe novels written after Frank Herbert's death and each version is examined a lot in science fiction. Either artificial intelligence represents a direct physical threat to humans, becoming sentient and attempting to wipe us out or enslave us, as we see with examples like Skynet in the Terminator franchise, or a more existential one where the machines are either used to oppress most humans, or to entice and debase us into a life of idle luxury. The concern about technology taking our jobs and replacing us has been with us for a long while. The various labor-saving devices we've invented down the years are not likely to attack or conquer us, but have often represented a perceived threat to either our prosperity or spiritual health. We have a somewhat bad habit these days of both waving these concerns aside as short-sighted and exaggerating the irrationality of those objecting to it. For instance, the Luddites, remembered for objecting to textile technologies of the 19th century, have become a byword for violent technophobia, but were neither particularly violent nor technophobic, and mostly concerned about labor practices and wages associated to rising industry, and objectively speaking these concerns were neither new nor baseless. On this channel we obviously tilt toward techno-optimism, but at the same time we hardly try to paint new technology as always bringing nothing but good times. New technology often brings us a whole new array of challenges and hardships, but generally brings more good than bad, thus far anyway, and our society has gotten quite used to technological disruption and does a better, if hardly ideal, job at smoothing the integration of new technologies into culture and preventing those displaced by it from being too adversely affected. It's worth keeping in mind that when a piece of tech displaced workers in the past, it often did so very literally. A landowner with a superior bit of farming technology that required less labor might kick off surplus laborers from his estates, who might actually starve to death as a result. 
Similarly, crafts and skills take many years to learn, representing a very large investment of time and resources by both the teacher and student. A skill made redundant by a new technology can leave a person not only unable to practice that skill to support themselves, but feeling reduced as a person as well. A central pillar of their life and confidence has been removed, while at the same time their comfort and survival have been endangered. It's not too surprising then that folks often think along the lines that when you create a machine to do the work of a man, you take something away from the man, and indeed that's a rather memorable quote from the film Star Trek Insurrection. We believe that when you create a machine to do the work of a man, you take something away from In that film we get an example of a post-technological civilization, the Baku, who having been once technologically advanced, had reverted to a low technology existence over concerns of the various physical and existential dangers technology posed. Now that film shows the Baku from the outset as living in rural simplicity, and they are portrayed to us as so smugly happy and downright superior in their low-tech bliss that a lot of fans, myself included, actively dislike them even though they are meant to be the good guys and victims of the tale. As my favorite TV and film reviewer Chuck Sonnenberg of SF Debris noted in his review of the film, Paradise protests too much, that it tries so hard to make everything perfect you can see just how impossible this perfection is. We are shown a simple village that's incredibly clean and prosperous, which matches no farm ever seen outside a story presumably written by someone who has never worked on a farm or lived in a place without a strong technological infrastructure. Unsurprisingly many Trek fans, who tend to view technology as producing utopias, found this a bit grating. Romantic portrayals of shepherds in idyllic pastures or blissful simplicity of hunter-gatherer life are very far from the truth and ignore all the filth, hardship, misery, oppression, and brutality that typically made up the often rather short lives of those people. And while it should be noted one can go too far the other way too, in simply assuming technology solves all problems, automatically creating a peaceful and enlightened culture, one is merely indulging in fantasy to think going back to nature makes life happier and better. Part of the problem though is that term going back to nature. Any line drawn between natural and artificial is going to be a bit arbitrary and blurry, humans are hardly unnatural. But for the word artificial to mean anything we essentially have to treat it as meaning man-made, or more generally made by intelligence. We've remarked before when discussing cyborgs how humans are already pretty artificial, things like clothes and language and tooth fillings are integral to us and entirely artificial. However, it overlooks a more fundamental flaw of this line of reasoning. As mentioned a bit ago, when someone's skills and craft are made redundant by some machine, it represents the loss of a major investment of time and resources, and a blow to their self-esteem and sense of self. That is important to note because if artificial means something human-made, there is nothing we invest more time and resources into making than new people. Even ignoring all the development and prototyping and background culture that forged the specific tools and patterns used to make the machine that made us, our parents and grandparents and community, the sheer amount of effort put into creating you or I individually is enormous. The fact of the matter is that if you have a tooth filling, 
that is one of the least artificial things about you. After all, it only took a brief while for the dentist to craft it and put it in and it merely poorly mimics something that evolved long ago. So a return to nature is not really on the table. I'd say that ship sailed long ago, but it did so before we invented sailing ships. I should probably note also that our ancestors, whose primitive lives are being put on a pedestal in such trains of thought, probably, without exception, considered anything natural to actually be the product of very skilled artifice. That's handy to remember, two different people saying natural is better can mean two very different concepts, since one might mean something evolved by natural selection while the other is assuming its superiority as natural is because it was designed by a supremely talented creator. Either one though, walking from that premise, is expressing a concern that we are not skilled enough to be tinkering casually with something that's the byproduct of billions of years of trial and error focused on functionality and survival, or the work of a vastly better craftsman. And that is a very legitimate concern. It's easy for us to dismiss any objection to technology as irrational technophobia. When you dig into most examples of it though, modern or historical, that irrationality is either exaggerated or absent. Which is not to say it's right or a model of solid logic, but in general, non-fictional examples of technophobia that are fairly recorded or reported usually rest on fairly legitimate concerns. Technology is dangerous. We do have an abundance of actual examples of specific technologies that did more harm than good, and while it does make life easier as we get more of it, the level of danger, physical and existential, rises too. We don't want to simply extrapolate from past examples that the benefits will always outweigh the downsides and risks. Amusingly a very unscientific line of thought itself but one expounded by technophiles who claim to analyze everything scientifically. It's not too hard to imagine that as technology makes life easier and more prosperous, a lot of folks will say that things are good enough and we should stop, or at least that they are getting off at this stop. Indeed we've even speculated in some episodes that a post-scarcity society might grind to a halt on advancement, simply because life has gotten so easy nobody feels a personal compulsion to further advance technology or lacks any inspiration for how to do so. That's not exactly without precedent either. While debatable, many historians explain the general slowing or halt of scientific progress in various previous golden ages on the thinkers of that time preferring pure logic over empirical evidence and disdaining crafts and skills considered illiberal, which is to say, hands-on, manual work. If nothing else, it's hard to think up a handy new technology that is labor-saving if you yourself never actually do any labor. So the general notion that people are in some way diminished by having things too easy is not exactly without basis nor are other common concerns about the impact things like video games or social media have on kids or even adults less skilled or motivated at more classic human interactions. Regardless of whether or not that is actually true or a bad thing, many folks consider it so, and for all purposes, perception is what matters since it motivates what folks will actually do. 
It does not actually matter if technology is good or bad objectively if folks think it is bad and decide to start a low-tech splinter civilization. We mention all the various reasoning involved in drawing that conclusion simply because the closer perception is to reality, or the more solid the logic behind the reasoning, the more likely it presumably is that folks will opt for this path. Tied up to that is that observation that the more technology and prosperity you have, the easier it is to survive comfortably if you decide more technology, or a specific technology, is a bad thing. And I'll note that a lot of us have individual technologies and conveniences we personally disdain already or avoid using. For instance, I'm unable to ignore the irony that while I keep a lot of my show notes for this channel on science and futurism on my computer, when I do write them down I do so in vintage leather notebooks with old school handmade paper. Certainly many of us, for all that we rationally know the old, the classic, the traditional, and the handcrafted is often of inferior make, still fervently surround ourselves with such things. Why do we value old stuff or facsimiles thereof? I don't know, but the antique mystique is certainly very real and not something I'd expect to diminish. As an example, our loose notion of a future transhuman would be someone pumped to the gills with nanotech, augmenting mind and body, possessing the physique of an Olympic athlete, the body of a supermodel, and the mind of a super genius. Such a person could be living in a crude hut in genuine comfort since they can't get sick, could easily feed themselves with no more than a sharpened stick to hunt and plow with, and hardly needs tons of books or devices lying around their home since they probably never forget anything they see and likely have a vast archive of knowledge and entertainment wired directly into their brain. This particular version of primitivism, which isn't really primitive, is often called post-technological. Examples of it in science fiction can range from various ascended beings made of pure energy to ones who basically look primitive even though they are not like the Nox from Stargate SG-1, shown to us initially as simple forest people but with a reveal at the end of the episode of having an invisible giant floating city. This does break one objection made about the Baku in Star Trek Insurrection, shown to be able to fix commander data, the pinnacle of cybernetic technology even though they live pre-industrial lifestyles. It's felt that technological knowledge would be use it or lose it, so they had it in the past and should not now, but they themselves do not age in the film, and some post-technological transhuman living in a hut might be a thousand years old with perfect recall. Again if you have a lot of knowledge, skills, and technology, you do gain the benefits of being very selective of what bits you feel like using. This also interferes with one of the more common objections to planets being colonized by those who reject a lot of technology with the assumption being that folks that hate technology could not bring themselves to get on board a spaceship or terraform or otherwise construct a new world. Even ignoring that such groups are likely to be selective about which technologies they don't use and when it's okay to use them, we have to factor in that lesser of evils consideration. If you are part of some group that believes technology is bad and wants to isolate yourselves from those who feel otherwise, you are probably going to recognize that staying on Earth isn't likely to be the best approach, 
particularly considering that even if you are willing to force others to follow your ways, you will generally lose a conflict with someone who has more advanced technology. Unless their leader subscribes to the Zap Brannigan School of Strategy, they are likely to realize that trying to overwhelm your enemy by sheer weight of numbers and hoping they'll run out of bullets is probably not a good plan. Of course some might, but obviously they're not founding new off-world colonies. We can therefore assume techno-primitive colonies out among the stars either put their prohibitions on technologies more sophisticated than those needed for going to new worlds, exempt those needed for such efforts, or exempt their use as a necessary evil, either by them or hiring someone else to handle it. There's certainly precedent there. The Amish and Mennonites are not a homogenous group in their application of the Ordnung about what technologies are okay to use and when, but for those living in my own area of rural Ohio, usage is often seen as different than ownership, the latter thought to encourage bad behaviors, and even then it's not unusual for cell phones or power tools to be employed, as their concern is more about what regular use of them will have on work ethics and family relationships. They're not anti-technology because they think it's evil, merely they believe routine use of it makes people lazy or immoral. As best as I can tell, since I've not had occasion to explain terraforming or O'Neill cylinders to a practicing member of that community and ask for their opinion, there would not actually be a clear prohibition on living on such a world or being transported there. And of course, they would not be representative of some group that decided 21st century technology was enough. A noteworthy caveat on this, following the transhuman vein, you could easily have folks born nowadays still living in the 25th century, who were just fine with spaceships and terraforming or space habitats, but were simply uncomfortable with the cultures emerging with more advanced tech. Given that compound interest and prior ownership, works wonders on wealth when one is immortal, not only could such folks likely afford to buy planets or space habitats and the ships to reach them, but a low-tech Earth might result simply from them telling all the young folks to conform or get off their proverbial lawn. High-tech will tend to curb-stomp low-tech in most conflicts, military or otherwise, but the dynamic shifts a bit when low-tech also means old and respected it's probably not going to be a good idea to try to annex and renovate the primitive village that is essentially a retirement home full of everyone's ultra-wealthy great-great-great-grandparents. Of course, speaking of annexation, people reluctant to even board spaceships might be doing so at gunpoint, or forced exile, though given the implied morality of those on the other end of the gun, and them being high-tech, odds are they'd opt for an option like brainwashing those folks or tricking them into some virtual mock-up of their homes. A post-biological civilization dealing with technophobes they regard as criminally inefficient in their use of land and resources might just wait till they all went to sleep, scan their brains into a simulated copy of their community, dump their bodies into a recycler, and clap themselves on their virtual backs for doing the primitives a favor so I wouldn't think we'd see a lot of forced exile. On the other hand, I could imagine a lot of compromised cases. Voluntary exile is a fairly common way to engage in colonization historically. A government with a group who doesn't mix well with their main culture, and who has a place they'd like settled, 
can offer to subsidize that group going there, effectively ridding themselves of problematic dissident groups and getting a colony out of it. Very similar to the prison colony approach we discussed last time in the series. We noted there that while it seems like a bad idea to settle a place with criminals or dissidents, in practice that generally did not breed a dysfunctional or hostile daughter colony, and a group that just doesn't like the influence of technology or certain technologies on their civilization is hardly automatically militantly hostile to their culture. Folks going and living off the grid or in a cabin in the woods often have issues with their main culture but rarely homicidally so. Heck, I openly loathe metropolises and even suburbs, preferring my rural area. I don't dislike the folks living there or want to burn them to the ground, I just don't want to live there or visit much. Realistically, a future Earth, and any swarms of habitats it may have orbiting nearby, probably would have tons of lower tech spots, ranging from the genuine to the tourist trap equivalent of Renaissance fairs to those with lots of technology hiding under a facade of vintage and period decoration. The other thing we noted about prison colonies is that they'd probably be a transition phase, settled as penal colonies by folks offered it as an alternative to prison while the place is not too hospitable yet, and through their work and kids and immigrants turned into just another regular world. We also need to keep in mind with colonization that we potentially have billions of solar systems to fill up, and once the initial prestige of space travel wears off, it might be rather hard to find folks willing to pack up and leave the comforts of home. In a galaxy without fast and light travel, you are making a big and pretty permanent sacrifice to leave behind those comforts and your friends and family to go settle a barren wasteland after decades of travel. There has to be a motivation to do that, and while there are many that might serve, most will tend to arise from a dislike of home. If home is a technological utopia where robots do most of the work, and you can explore any number of virtual paradises in your tons of free time, a lot of the traditional historic motivations for going off to a new colony are not as strong. On the other hand, a general belief that too much technology and easy living is unhealthy for you, and not something you want your kids exposed to either, is a very good motivation to pack up for the frontiers where you'll live on your wits and skills and hard work. In that regard, it's actually very easy for me to imagine that an awful lot of future colonies will be founded by folks who have some negative views on technology, or certain technologies and one would expect them to tend to group together by which technologies they dislike and what philosophy motivates that dislike, with the intent of founding a world that will be governed by that attitude. Now that said, I don't think the future of a galactic humanity is a billion primitive worlds, even for a given value of primitive since the hypothetical technophobes might regard our modern world as too primitive. It's popular in sci-fi to show colony worlds abandoning or losing their technology, sometimes both, like in Anne McAfee's Dragon Riders of Porn series, where they're meant to be modestly lower tech but got forced by disaster to be even lower tech. I don't see that happening much. We worried about generation ships losing technology en route, but that was mostly due to them being far too small in population and resources to rediscover anything they lost, or even really have the numbers to maintain a vast host of specialty skills. 
a planet is a bit different, that's part of why we suggested them as intergalactic colony ships and planet ships last week. They do have the space and resources to support a civilization able to relearn things from scratch. Indeed any world that goes too primitive isn't even going to be able to retain a prohibition on technology. As we mentioned in Cyclic Apocalypses, a culture has to work very hard to erase all signs of technology, and while that's lessened on a new world without technological artifacts left all over the place, you still have to be able to keep records of why you ban technology and maintain a global civilization unified enough to allow an orthodoxy enforcing those prohibitions particularly considering any breakaway culture that re-embraces technology is going to start gaining benefits that make them economically and militarily hard to coerce from outside. And of course, folks will rationalize why this particular new and useful tech should be an exception to the rules. The other point about primitivism is if you are living on a space habitat, or even a terraformed planet, there is probably some form of technology in place that maintains the environment. While that technology is probably largely self-maintaining, we currently have no examples of completely autonomous self-repairing technology that can exist for millennia. That might necessitate a base level of technology required for existence. So folks opting for primitivism might donate their child to their temple of maintainers, much as people did in years gone by and even practice today in some places of donating children to the higher calling of the church. The temple of maintainers would be tasked with training technicians and conducting the rituals of keeping the lights on in service to the machine god. Unlike with other religious orders of the past though, if the temple was abandoned, the vengeance of the machine god will play out in the form of failing life support systems and everyone dies, becomes a very real existential problem. So you probably can't maintain such a tech ban for very long beneath a certain level of technology, and even then it's likely to erode over time, and even centuries mean nothing in the grand scheme of galactic colonization particularly since you're likely to eventually get neighbors who show up and might view your primitivism as oppressive and unethical, or just don't feel obliged to get your permission to show up and trade knowledge or devices. They might even do as Admiral Perry did with Japan, and just show up with a fleet one day. And in such cases, assuming they didn't conquer you overtly, you're likely to have internal pressures to modernize to defend yourselves, a lesser of evil situation again. Fundamentally, while I can see plenty of colonies setting up as techno-primitives, at least relative to their motherland, I can't see them staying that way in the long term, unless it turns out too much technology really is a bad thing, and even then it would be hard to do. Of course to be fair, the major motivation for such places tends to be a belief that hard work and challenge is fundamental to being a good human, so they might embrace that aspect of it. And while neither I, nor I assume most of my audience is technophobic, I doubt I'm alone in agreeing with that basic principle, that those struggles and challenges, and the push to overcome them, are a significant part of what defines us and lets us grow. For my part though, I remain confident that at least for the foreseeable future we've got plenty of character building hard work to do, and I don't think more technology will change that anytime soon just change what specific tasks and skills and challenges we have.
We were talking about skills a lot today, and an important takeaway is realizing that we've always been a skills-based culture, those skills have just changed a lot over the centuries. Of course these days, they aren't even changing with each generation, they change almost every year. I don't need to tell anyone here that having lots of skills, and keeping them up to date, is both good for the career and personal happiness, and we have so many more to choose from these days. It's also far easier with communities like Skillshare to learn them from the comfort of your own home. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 20,000 classes, covering everything from practical daily skills to things like programming, writing, or science. A premium membership gives you unlimited access to high quality classes on must-know topics so you can improve your skills, unlock new opportunities, and do the work you love. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners, get 2 months of Skillshare for free. To sign up, visit the link in the description, and the first 500 visitors get 2 months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for free. Act now for this special offer and start learning today. So we have some fun episodes coming up for the next couple of weeks. We spend a lot of time discussing humanity's future, but next Thursday is International Pet Day, and I thought we'd celebrate that by asking what the future might have in store for our furry friends. The week after that, by popular demand, we are going to look at giant war robots and power armor. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, And if you enjoyed this episode, please like it and share it with others. And if you'd like to support future episodes, you can visit the donate tab on our website, isaacarthur.net, linked in the description below, or try out some awesome SFIA merchandise. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week.